Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about classic albums and decide if they deserve that distinction. And we also talk about some unsung classics in the hopes of bringing them to a new audience. And at the end of it all, we let you decide if we are right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Fraser. Yeah, I'm joined by... Uh, to my left is Chris Cusack, who invented flat Pringles. <laughs> uh, he's also been married to Pauline Quirk three times. <laughs> She's just opened a dance school or acting school in Glasgow, you know. Uh, yeah, I know, I saw that. On the back of a bus, I saw the advert. No, the school's not in the back of the bus. <laughs> the school's, the school's school. also on the back of a bus. <laughs> I'm bound to bump into it as well. It's going to be really awkward because we're on like our third settlement. Do you know that uh, the phrase? <laughs> <laughs> Did you know the phrase "a quirk of fate" is actually to do with Pauline Quirk? She invented venom. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> she actually, she's actually one of the most poisonous animals in the world. That's astonishing. Yeah, but probably true because you said it. Um, you know, my three times you should know. <laughs> we barely spoke. <laughs> That was really just a way to get to, um, what's her name, was it Dorian in Birds of a Feather? The dark-haired... Dorothy? Oh, it might be Dorian, I don't know. Whoever the, yeah. the promiscuous dark-haired yeah. housewife was, yeah. The cougar. Yeah, I was just really going through Pauline to get to her. But yeah, uh, to my right is Dave Weaver, um, who uh, has been trying to grow a, a sort of new metal, sort of Serge Tankian system of a down... Uh, kind of beard thing but it's not been working so he's taken to shaving his back and using those hairs because he feels they're softer and um, more likely to attract the caresses of uh, young <laughs> <laughs> young carry on <laughs> I'm, I'm realising what a difficult time this is to make uh, jokes about anything of that sort so young pensioners Young pensioners. Nobody cares about pensioners getting I molested. These bits Nobody. <laughs> pensioners, you could molest pensioners up and down the place day and night, and folk would probably be like, because humanity. Oh, that's nice. He's, he's helping them out, <laughs> making them feel wanted. Because <laughs> humanity is so fucked that we know that all pensioners at some point have done something terrible, so they deserve whatever they get. What if what they get is the downy fluff from your back glued to your chin in a new metal style? <laughs> anyway, yeah, do we have a show? <laughs> <laughs> the public have decided that Foo Fighters by Foo Fighters is not getting voted into the 
Make of that what you will. Yeah, and I said, so we're talking about uh, Violator by Depeche Mode, which was my <laughs> choice. It was indeed. Why was it your choice? Uh, I wanted to choose something a bit different for the rock stuff we were doing, uh, primarily. And mm-hmm. also, I really love this record. I, I like the sound of it. Um, I think it's been really influential to a lot of, not just electronic music, but bands generally, I think, too. And it's just full of bangers. It's just wall-to-wall <laughs> bangers. <laughs> you were being so respectable and kind of above board when <laughs> you're disco. It was just like... Just Ooh, full of bangers, shorted out. Totally banging. Just far bangers. <laughs> Uh, how I disagree you can <laughs> no, no, so the... how, Tell us How did you get into this album How did you find A it? friend recommended it to me When I was in college uh-huh. I'd never heard Depeche Mode before And um, They were like Yeah you should listen to Violator by Depeche Mode And I was like that's not The band that did that song Just can't get enough Nah Not like that it's just Mate like, oh. Classic Listen to it yeah, uh, 63 you... wins on a trot You do get a wee <laughs> bit sick of it But uh, what can I say We're just that good <laughs> And I was like I listened to it And <laughs> The first thing that hit me about it Was the production I think the production is just immense. The strings, the way that all this, the sequencing and the, the synths are just arranged. The arrangement as well, I guess, and the production, both things work hand in hand really well. And I wasn't was never really expecting it, but it's really fucking dark, man. I'm pretty sure uh, Dave Gaggan was coming off. Is it Dave Gaggan? Is it Gaggan? Gaggan. 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 <laughs> The lead vocalist, I'm pretty sure he was just com- he's, he was just coming off. I had just come off heroin at the time, so it informed quite a lot of lyrical choices as well. So yeah, I, when like when you chose this one, I have to admit I didn't really know a lot about Depeche Mode, so I, it was the the one that I've had to kind of spend the most time trying to really uh, try and understand. I I take your point about it being dark. I didn't find it as dark as I expected it to be. From from what you'd said, given you know it was the nineteen it was nineteen ninety it came yeah. out. There was some pretty dark music kicking about at that time, you know, and I mean that was like kind of era of, of early Nine Inch Nails, early Ministry and stuff. Mm. And I didn't I didn't find this to be like. But it's clear they weren't listening to anything like that. They were coming from the synth pop background. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, but you really got dark it. For but them. but the album immediately after this um, is Faith and Devotion. Yeah, Faith and Devotion is the one where they clearly demonstrated like he he was quite outspoken about how much he admired Nirvana and Soundgarden and these bands that were there at the time and they went for quite a a big kind of dark rocky sound so I mean they're not they didn't live in a vacuum as big as they were like mm. they I, I just yeah I mean it's I get the sombre kind of like you know minor nature of it but I, I, I didn't um, find it over like overbearingly downbeat well funnily enough I kind of came from an opposite perspective of that in that I'd, I'd never really listened to this album before either I, and my previous Depeche Mode sort of experience was um, just can't get enough and but that was, was their first album yeah I know exactly and I'm not gonna lie I fucking love cheesy 80s pop I one of the best albums of all time and maybe we'll do it on this is uh, Tears for Fears um, songs from Big Chair fucking love <laughs> Kate Bush I love fucking you know early talk talk as well as you know their match you know uh, post rock shit later on I like my most you're subscribed in, playlist on Spotify is my 80s playlist and your entire all, life is a dare 
I mean, there's nothing I don't do that isn't wrapped in wads of irony. But uh, I, no, I, I, but then I'd also, I'd heard Enjoy the Silence off this record, which is a fucking great track. Obviously heard the Marilyn Manson cover of yeah. Personal Jesus. <laughs> oh, look at Chris's face. <laughs> no, uh, not the Johnny Cash one. No. I, I um, just found out that Marilyn Manson didn't have his testes removed in that accident where the prop fell on him, and I'm a little disappointed. He didn't have his testes or his ribs removed when he was a teenager so he could suck his own dick. He didn't have any. He's never sometimes had any fake news is better news. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I came from this quite blank, and for me... I always thought of Depeche Mode as a big 80s pop band. Yeah, me too. In the yeah. same sort of vein as Duran Duran, Erasure. Tears for Fears, Erasure, who I fucking love. Um, and for me, this was, because my expectations were different, this was this was a lot darker than I thought it would be. Um, and I was like, when I listened to this, I was like, oh, I can totally see how this has been influential amongst the sort of gothy stuff, the electro stuff. You know, Nine Inch Nails, Ministry, Marlon Manson, that whole, it sort of tied into that more than the, you know, that big pop, st- you know, glossy stuff from the from the mid-80s. I think, I think like, you again, this is all just based on me trying to kind of get to grips with this band a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit more thoroughly, but the they just can't get enough stuff, the 1981 stuff, uh, what was it? Um... I can't remember the name of the album, but the, Vince Clark was a big part of that. Uh-huh, yeah, and the, he not former Razor, yeah, I believe. So yeah. like he he left, did that band Yazoo, Yaz, Yazoo, depending on what country you're from, and and then um, did a Razor, and you can really hear that and just can't get enough. I mean, that is like that could have been an Razor song, mm-hmm. you know. And I think Depeche Mode, uh, yeah, I, I just I just don't. Again, maybe we're just seeing it from totally different perspectives here. I, I see Depeche Mode as quite a somber band. That's like I see them as quite like Enjoy the Silence was the tune. It's a great song. It's a it's a song that when I was a kid and I was listening passively to radio, it stood out as being particularly good, and it still does stand out as being particularly good. Um, but yeah, I think they 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 did suggest to me the opposite. So it's interesting that Dave's got such different perspective on them because yeah, there are absolutely were a whole bunch of bands around that time that are sort of. Um, peers of theirs, but certainly I I wouldn't associate creatively, uh, and or you know, I, I wouldn't associate in terms of their outlook or approach to what they were doing. This was like very I th- I think Depeche Mode it also seems are taken really really seriously, you know, like uh, by people that like them. Um, I know they have massive appeal, but the musicians that like them are big enthusiasts of 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 the band and of their technical prowess of their. The work they did with synthesizers, you know, the the advances they made and the sound that this album in particular, I believe, is considered to be quite daring and quite boundary pushing in terms of like. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, 
Also, smallwigs who are on the path to becoming bigwigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The arrangement and production. I think in that sense, I mean, we kind of spoke about this briefly at some point. Um, I don't think it sounds too dated. I think all the sequencing on it uh, and sort of synthesizer sounds are now so commonplace, but done in a sort of ironic kind of way that it doesn't really make it sound as dated as it probably should. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 no, just very quickly, it would be interesting to know what impact the technology had on this album because this is one thing you forget when you're doing electronic music more so than guitar music is that the the technology of the era affects electronic music far more substantially than it affects guitar music even though there are advances in guitar music and even though you get bands that can now play through laptops that make all the pedal changes for them the differences are far more apparent in electronic music where the technology suddenly makes possibilities apparent that were, were never even considered before or were incredibly difficult before, you know, Kraftwerk were going through banks of things to do something you can now do on a phone. So it it, it it's and it would be interesting to see how much of as 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 forward looking as a lot of what they did is said to be, it would be quite interesting to really know how much of that was enabled by advances in technology of the time. Because I'm not really sure what gear they were using. Not that I'm trying I'm I'm not trying to downplay the accomplishment of their album, but it is interesting with electronic music to kind of bear that in mind when you're listening to it. Like, how much of this is an idea they had and how much of this is actually a technical thing that was put in front of them and, like, you can do this now. And they're now, and so therefore they take advantage of it. I mean, I think that's a good point. But then the next record, Songs of Faith and Devotion, they kind of... Rejects it. Rejects it entirely. Not entirely, because there's still a lot of synthesizers, a lot of keyboards on it, but there's way more guitars and there's mm-hmm. definitely that, like, grunge influence. I think the thing that appealed to me most about Violator though and probably came along at the right time when I heard it as well is the whole vibe and atmosphere of it is really not electro at all you know it's, it almost feels metal in a lot of ways even though they were probably never metal fans it feels more goth I, I think well there's a, that's, a, that's a big goth element I mean it's goth it's goth that being dreary as goth as sometimes can be it's a wee bit dreary you know yeah it definitely is <laughs> but it's not like it's, it's his vocals his vocal lines day. are quite morose but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's, I yeah, I really like. There's like a sparseness to the production that I really liked. Mm. That wasn't expected. Yeah, because what well, I, I was actually I was surprised to see that it was 1990 that it came out. I th- I just always associated them with being an 80s band. Mm. Um, well, they didn't have a number one album until 91 or 92, mm. which is interesting. Like, because it was songs of faith and devotion. 
that came in and went to number one. So like as big as they were at this time, I think they were like, like I, th- I think it was when this album came out, they sold. Uh, I think they had there was a forty eight thousand capacity stadium in the states that sold out in half an hour when this album came out. But they weren't a number one album, so mm-hmm. it was like it was a sustained, you know, succession of albums. Because I mean, seven, this was the seventh. I think. Yeah, I mean, they've so, been going for a long time at this yeah, point, yeah, you know, yeah. and. That's that's the other remarkable thing about it as well. They made a, a seven conscious... albums in nine years. Actually, it's, yeah. it's not that long. It's quite impressive. Like, and after after that, it, they took a lot of time between albums. In some cases, yeah, but that's because people thought yeah. they were breaking up, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, because Alan Wilder left like later on down the line. I think after Ultra, he left. Yeah, but they didn't think they mm-hmm. were going to reform. I think it was not before that, but they they didn't think they were going to continue. Yeah, because there was there was a lot of, there was a lot of like uh, discontent before they went into songs, faith and devotion. Mm-hmm. Because they totally decided to make a conscious effort to change up the style of how this album was made as well compared to the previous stuff, which I think probably had quite a lot of say in the way that it was composed and the structure, you know? Apparently, for this one in in particular, they decided to to um, not have, uh, is it Martin Gore? Is that his mm. name? Um, to not have Martin Gore overly finish the demos for it. Like, he he was very much, like... Uh, in a position of doing a lot of composition, I believe, or whoever whoever was doing the, the, the demos were left much more uh, sparse to enable the band to put more of the band's influence into the music for this one. Uh, so I understand it anyway. That's when I, that's, I guess that's when, if you look at the credits of the records, you actually see that a lot of the compositional aspects of it actually come from Alan Wilder as well. So, like, you had, like... Uh, oh, there was an interesting breakdown mm-hmm. that said he was the facilitator, Martin Gore was the ideas man, and Dave Gann was the personality mm-hmm. of, of, like, in terms of how the, yeah. how the three, the dynamic worked. So, like, I think, I think I, I could be wrong here, but the way I understand it is a lot of the sort of synthy sounds and the kind of pads and all that were very much compositional part of Alan Wilder's sort of thing. And Martin Gore was more the kind of the synth- sequencing synthesizers. And then, you know, Gann was the voice. It's interesting. This is, I, th- I believe, this is still though. Even though it didn't come in at, as high in the charts, this is their biggest selling album mm-hmm. of the because period. of because of like the two. I mean, I think from what I understand, when Personal Jesus first came out, people didn't really weren't expecting that. Like they weren't expecting to to hear like Depeche Mode doing a song like this, and it kind of prefaced this this record. Which I mean, Personal Jesus is very lyrically dark. But I don't. I think musically, it's not. It doesn't. Yeah. Fit in the album, it's quite. It's quite it stands out. It's mm. different. Do you know? Um, yeah. the, the personal Jesus is really anomalous in the album for a few reasons. It's like they did a lot of stuff in Milan for this album. Yeah. Um, but it was the only song they recorded in Milan. The rest apparently. was in Norway, wasn't it? Or yeah, Denmark. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was Denmark. The rest was done elsewhere, and they actually, well, according to them, they they got pretty hedonistic in Milan with the time there, rather than recording much. But I I, I was fascinated to find out about the the kind of primitive version of a viral campaign they did mm. for personal jesus did you hear about this like no. so they took out adverts and newspapers that just said your own personal jesus and then they took them out again that said your own personal jesus and had the phone number and you could phone the phone number and that, that track would play on the phone number and <laughs> so like their fans were like ringing up this line all the time yeah. and it was like an early attempt at like really alternative marketing like a really unusual approach to it and it seemed to create quite a buzz ahead of the album coming out so it is a bit of an outlier in a few ways. Personal Jesus on the album, apart from just the way it sounds, it does. De- it does definitely sound a bit strange compared to the rest of the record. I mean, enjoy enjoy the silence is a lot closer to the actual overall aesthetic of the record. I think, on the whole, um, 
there's a lot of, there's a lot of tunes on this record which are just I don't know they just they make me feel really uneasy and I've never really I've never really felt that before when I had and I'd heard electronic music and every single time even to this day when I hear Martin Gore's um, backing vocals because it's really high almost womanly sort of backing vocal it always just gets me I don't I can't I can't really describe why but it just it just does something for me which I think is pretty incredible. It's something for France as well. It was number one there. Was it? It was one of the only countries that went to number one. And and it's weird because when you're talking about some of it, I do, I don't know why subconsciously I just associate the Pesh mode, as big as they were in the States, with being really popular in France. Yeah. Yeah. I was. I had this total misconception as well. I thought uh, at least two of the, the main members in the Pesh mode were gay. And apparently they're not. No. I have no idea. I, I just... Just they'd always to me just been a band that was like a large proportion of the band were gay, um, and I, I I don't know where I got that idea. So it's this it's just just a little bit of trivia there, but I I honestly don't know where that came from, and I just was like quite like, oh that's weird. The music made less sense to me once I knew they weren't <laughs> gay. I was like oh, and I I guess the the innuendo and stuff I sort of liked it less once I knew they weren't gay. I was like oh, okay. There are some creepy songs on the track, like Blue Dress, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's a pretty... Uh, apparently, um, yeah, like, uh, Gore said that uh, he, he described Blue Dress as being pervy, mm-hmm. I believe, was the phrase. And it is. Some of the lyrics are. And Just about watching a woman get dressed. Yeah, which is kind of strange. And there are songs about... That's strange, but yeah. I mean, I guess, for, for if you thought they were gay, I guess it's pretty strange. Um, I don't know, and... I think Wild in My Eyes is a really good opener because it, it clues you right into the atmosphere of the record immediately. And it, it, you, you kind of get this sense you're going to get taken on this weird journey. And I kind of... It must have been even more staggering as a fan of the band to be like, what the fuck is this? Like, mm-hmm. This is not... This is not the Depeche Mode I signed up for. I I have to say, like, and I'm obviously not overly overly familiar with this album, I've been trying pretty hard to get used to that. I think the first two songs are two of the weakest songs on it. Well, I think I'd probably agree with that. I think uh, it's a good. I think it's a good opener to clue you into the record. I was speaking to a friend of mine who's a massive fan, though, and he, he thinks the second tune is one of their best. So it was like it's strange how again opinions vary, um, depending on how significant the band is to you personally. You know, this is a band that I don't have much vested in. Other, I'm open-minded about it, but. F- you know, for example, for me on this album, the standout track was Halo. I think it's an excellent song. Like, with really interesting chords and really interesting lines in it, but it's not a single. It's, you know. Yeah, funnily enough, coming from a similarly sort of blank background, Halo was the one that stood out for me as well. Yeah. really nice and um i mean enjoy the silence is a great song as well obviously but I, yeah that that's weird that that kind of really came across that tune but so I, i'm not sure how you as a fan of the album uh you see the peaks and troughs when i first when i first heard it the the song that stood out to me the most was clean at the end mm-hmm. because it's just like it's just like dave like singing it in this like void almost and he's got that weird reverb on his voice mm-hmm. and it kind of builds and it's just I don't know I, I keep coming back to this word atmosphere and it comes back to the atmosphere of the record it just makes me feel really odd and I just love that about it you know Halo's also a really good song 
Um, I do like the blue dress a lot. Waiting for the night, also love that. I think that's. I've been listening Apparently to this. That was maybe, sorry, just that was maybe called waiting for the night to fall. Yeah, which but is the actual lyric. The, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> I, I've. I was just gonna say I've been listening to this album, like over the last couple of nights, walking back from work, and it just seems like a really fucking perfect album. Walking back, nighttime, cold. Get jumped. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, through the city. You know, down weird sort of. Um, where are you, you know, walking, abandoned. man? You could just you could walk up well lit roads. I know where you live. They've, oh, they've got what? street lights. You don't have to be walking down I'm weird. Going, I'm going through Tradeston, man. <laughs> Fucking hell, it's mental here. Uh, but you know, it just it's like just really good soundtrack for a slightly you know, it's a nighttime album. Mm-hmm. It's a totally. winter album. You know, it's not one you go fucking pump on the beat shit, you know, <laughs> 7 p.m. and not, even, not even enjoy the silence. Not you know who wants one. to be Depeche Mode? A band close to your heart, Dave. Orgy. <laughs> Orgy. <laughs> I mean, <sighs> I, I own two Orgy records. I didn't even know Orgy had even... two records. The first Are they both the same record? Basically. Yeah. First I mean, one they had did the cover Blue Monday. Blue Monday. Yeah. Of course they did. And what else uh, did they do? You know, New Order, <laughs> uh, New Order, another band that are sort of of that era, sort of you know, um, peers of uh, Depeche Mode, and but Depeche Mode are just darker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Policy of Truth, and I'll stand it for me as well. I'm pretty sure it was a single. I think it was the third single on the yeah, record. I think so, yeah, yeah, um, because it has that big chorus with a weird kind of synth horns. Cool. I don't get a lot from that song. It's one of the most memorable ones, but it's not memorable in a way that really, like, uh, you know, I'm not sure. It's it's, it's strange coming to an album that's got such a significance and yet struggling to, like, find find the in, you know, Mm -hmm. find the access points of, like, like I said, like, I think Enjoy the Silence and the chorus of Halo and a couple others are real ways that you can find your way in under the armour and start to kind of get into it, but... Man, some of the other stuff, it just, I don't know if it's a case of it dating or if I don't, I don't know if I'm just not, it's just not something that's intended to, or it's just not something that's compatible with. Well, going back to something you said, I think that maybe some of it's, I don't know, like vitality has been dampened by how influential it's been. Mm. And a lot of the, you know, the, the sequences and the you know the chord progressions and even the you know the the vocal lines have been used so much by so many bands, particularly now, you know, because this music's so fucking fashionable right now. But yeah. is is this album more influential than their other work? Because songs of faith and devotion, for example, seems like it was very high profile, and some of the stuff bef- be- be- beforehand as well seems like it was very very high profile. So like. They've always been a high profile band though. Everything they've done has been met with great fanfare since the night since the eighties. To me, even this was always the Depeche Mode album I knew of. And this was maybe the crossover one and it's the one that I've read about people, you know, always going back to, you know, you know, you know, fans from you know, uh, musicians from, you know, metal, goth, pop, always go back but to what the, about, like, this one. See, I always hear about music for the masses. That's the one that's always kind of mentioned. The one to before me. this, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, do, you, do you feel this this album had more influence than that? I think it's definitely had a lot more influence on a, a lot more 90s kind of goth artists. It's interesting when you think about the songs of faith and devotion, just to think of just coming back to that for a wee second, is like, that just reminds me of being like a soundtrack for the Crow film. 
<laughs> it's an though, interesting analogy Even though it's not But it sounds like it fits yeah, exactly yeah. in that And that's very much of its time I think music for the masses is probably the stepping stone Towards getting to towards getting to Violator But I think Violator's probably still the outlier In their catalogue as well And the sound of it I think the actual overall sound Of all component parts of it Still resonates to this day the only thing that I mean, I appreciated this album more after I started listening to the band Health. I don't know if you guys know Health. Yeah, I know Health well. Death yeah. Magic, Death Magic, has got so much influence for this record on it. It's like staggering. And I came, but I went back and listened to that record, and I was like, I can hear it even more now. And the stuff that's kind of like electro and current. I feel like know? I'm on a different planet right now because the Health that I think of is a million miles away from this. They but used to be, and then they became a pure electro fucking. Yeah, Health used to be noise, but now band, they yeah. are like. Mm-hmm. I think I yeah, must have tuned out Proper electro Yeah they're proper like, But like Still good But yeah. Imagine if electro Imagine electro band playing metal But like not in a pure obvious industrial way That's basically what health sound like <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a big ask It's, 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 it's weird But they've, they've got weird stuff They've got like blast beats and all that in songs Where it's playing like really loud mad keyboards and stuff And the production's pure pop and all that And it's See, um, That's a good record but, Death Magic, I saw them in stereo. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like the time, and they'd pl- we're talking about health now, but mm. time in Glasgow they'd played uh, before was in Captain's Rest upstairs in the Captain's Rest, and it was just absolute chaos. And then in stereo they played, and I I really enjoyed it because the songs were good, and they put on a good show. But like a lot of it was on backing track, mm-hmm. and a lot of it was you know about pitchfork. <laughs> it was. It was. It, I mean, it was. They're it was a pitchfork pitch band. Then. They're I mean, such they're, a pitchfork band. Yeah, like, and I, yeah, I fucking, I really enjoyed that album. But I don't know that, like, that live show left me feeling pretty a bit empty. Um, I, I think that, that that's that's a band that leaves me feeling really empty. I have to be honest. I, there's something horribly hollow about them. Um, something really gutted out, and like, like the whole pitchfork thing. Like, it's just. I, I I can't put my finger on it, but yeah, we're we're getting sidetracked here. But I, that's a lot of a lot of the vocal melodies on Death Magic are are significant. Yeah, absolutely. Taken from this record, really. That's that's interesting. I'd like to listen to that with that in mind because, yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, pairing that I hadn't put together. So there's a whole load of yeah, sort of like like gothy electro dark stuff. Even you know coming from LA right now, um, that yeah, the, you can tell is. Very violator. You feel like MGMT as well. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, there's definitely a huge influence on them. And I don't. I'm not even. I don't even really like them. But w- what I've heard of them definitely sounds like they've taken yeah, some I mean, of the sounds directly from this record. Jesus you know. Right. I mean, I think. I think that's we're now getting into the realm of making the point that so much of what is happening now is so painfully fucking lifted from from the eighties retro. A record which is now twenty seven years old. Yeah. I mean, I say 80s retro, this is 1990, but you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's an 80s album. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like an 80s yeah. album. I mean, it is definitely. It's, you can see that we're looking towards a new decade and going, we want to try and do something different, but they're still coming out with that hangover of having mm-hmm. 80s sound. You know? Yeah, do, do you think this is their best album? I do, yeah. Do you think it's the most, to, to, to use the analogy from an earlier episode and when we did the Converge, like, do you think it's also the most important album? See. I don't know because I, like I said at the start or before we started recording I, listened, I was listening to Songs of Faith and Devotion recently and that's definitely got, 
as a guitar player and someone that likes guitar music, that's got a much bigger appeal to me just because yeah, it sonically, is less typically Depeche Mode yeah, though, isn't it? Is, it? Oh, it is, but it, it just keeps coming back to the production and arrangement of this record for me. Every single time, it just makes my hair stand on end. Mm. Every single fucking time. Especially the string sounds. It just makes me go, wow. Like, that was... That must have taken a lot of processing power to do back at that time to make it sound that good. Well, that's that's kind of what I mean about the technology. Yeah. Like, I wonder how big a part that played in terms of their creative decisions. What was possible sometimes makes your mind up for you. Because, mm. wow, this has never been possible before. We were rich enough to afford it. We should use it. And that's... That's a big part of music in general. Jesus Christ, autotune, you know. That's that's an entire style of music that has grown just from the ability to do it, not because it should happen. You know, everybody was like, can we do it? And nobody thought, should we do it? You know, autotune is like the fucking skynet of music. <laughs> um, and I just like, yeah, I mean, the production in this, I like it. It is ghostly. It is quite Bit melancholy sparse. and sparse. I just... It didn't need to be for them either. Given the stuff that came before and after it, it didn't need to have that kind of empty void sound that it ha- yeah. has. I mean, and I, even the artwork as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about the aesthetics. I think the artwork as well, like, defines it perfectly because, you know, it's just fucking black, little red line, a little bit of, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I think it works pretty perfectly in sort of, you know, summing it up visually I think as well. We can't obviously do it, but it'd be interesting to, to actually see you know, a world without the influence of this album, you know, what albums, in your opinion, do you think wouldn't exist without this album? Maybe that's an interesting way to put it. Apart, lot, from, apart from Orgy. <laughs> I think a lot of Mother Masters wouldn't exist without it, for sure. The later stuff? All like of it. Mechanical Animals kind of stuff? All of it. I mean, he obviously he was hugely influenced by Trent Reznor as well, but there's a lot of sounds from, I guess, probably Smells Like Children onwards, which are just taken wholesale from the... From, the things that Depeche Mode are doing, especially the more melodic vocal lines, I would say. It would be interesting to see a balance of influence, like if you could ever graph it between Depeche Mode and Nine Inch Nails as well, because... Pretty Hate Machine doesn't sound... I mean, there's definitely... That's not... that To me, that's not optimum Nine Inch Nails. It's though. not, because I, I think probably to get out of what Weaver's getting at as well, is like, it is that, it is that total thing of like... You can probably you can tell at some point he's listened to this record and went, I want to do something a bit like that, but with what I like to do. Yeah. You know, and then he comes out with what was the next one? Uh, Downward Spiral. Was that the next one? Yeah, yeah Downward. Yeah. I think That's, Downward Spiral takes a lot from this album. I think I think we'll probably end up encountering Downward Spiral in this series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's a huge album for me personally as well. But I, yeah, I mean, okay, I can I can I can take your point. And uh, there's elements in Downward Spiral like stuff on like a warm place and things like that that I can see are influenced maybe. By the the arrangements on this, mm. um, those guys weren't far behind each other, so it's hard I think to vocally it's quite similar as well. I think so. <laughs> I mean, there's not no, there's not a lot in Downward Spiral. March of the Pigs. And no, no, like I <laughs> no, like just overall in like the sort of overall Nine Inch Nails. I I see like Trent's vocals are quite, and I don't know, like quite understated, mm-hmm. quite. I don't know, it's maybe the way that it's mic'd, it's maybe the way that it's, like, quite intense and personal. Like, it's, you know, it goes a lot... I don't know. I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, f- I'm feeling not, a bit... I'm not getting that one at all, man. But um, I'd, I'd, I'd... Maybe with the later stuff. Maybe on his quiet... On the quiet Trent stuff, he's, like... Well, but that's that's well speak- after Downward Spiral, mostly, anyway. Yeah, I know, but, like, that's... 
well after Violator as well. I think like the influence of Violator in I would Nine Inch Nails goes probably like gets deeper as it goes on. I would say that melodically, like vocally, melodically, my Nine Inch Nails, which is a total tangent here. Nine Inch Nails have always, um, he, he's he's always he's always got the same ideas that he just keeps recycling on every record, like vocally. Yeah, that's not the most interesting thing about Nine Inch Nails, obviously. But I definitely think there's a Depeche Mode influence on that, even in the mm-hmm. even in the louder stuff he does as well. He's vocal. He said the, the better the delivery, you know. That's true, but I mean, I guess a lot of vocalists tend to find a find a niche and sort of occupy it. Yeah, I mean, use their safe notes. Yeah, I mean, David Joe didn't have the biggest of ranges, but he's pretty pretty idiosyncratic. Um, yeah, as well, Roscoe Moore. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I I can I can definitely. Acquiesce to the notion that this is not influential. This does seem like a good and strong representation of the work. So what? I, I can get with that. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I, I I didn't feel a lot for this album. As I said, Halo was the standout track, but I I would not fall out with the notion of it going through to you know some kind of list. The only caveat might be that if I had the time to really immerse myself in the back catalogue, I, I wonder if I wouldn't find an album that was more striking and I feel from talking to people almost everybody I've spoken to has a different Depeche Mode album that they that, that they prefer so I'm kind of wary of is this the one so it'll be interesting to see how people react to it on that basis yeah I can totally understand that because they've, they've got a huge body of work as well so oh fuck man it's 17 albums or yeah. something like that yeah. so there's, there's going to be 100 something. million record sales is what I read at the last count what's interesting is talking about like 80s pop and like for a lot of people you know, that one single, Just Can't Get Enough, is their entry to Depeche Mode. For a lot but as we found out... 60,000 people every Saturday, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but what we found out is that there's so much more fucking Depeche Mode and they're influential in all these different genres. But there's so many bands like that in 80s pop who have their, like, one or two tracks that are the massive sort of era-defining genre tracks. And, like, a lot of these... Maybe it was just the 80s and they were just given loads of cocaine and money... And they were allowed to do whatever the fuck they wanted, but you know they they became fucking massive off a couple of pop tracks, and then they were just allowed to do whatever the fuck they wanted. And sometimes that was good, sometimes that was bad. I don't know. That's, just a yeah, little that's, tangent. That's there. absolutely still the case. But you know, sometimes these bands benefit from a bit of autonomy and support. And the industry was different then. And if you demonstrated the ability to do stuff, you were allowed to run with it, and there weren't the same pressures exerted on you to conform. Depeche Mode wouldn't happen now because a band that sounded like Depeche Mode would never be allowed to branch off into such yeah. challenging directions unless they had, like, like, I think Radiohead were the last ones to sneak under that door before it shut where they're allowed to dictate the, the trajectory of their own career. It seems like the only ones now who could change their career would be to bend it towards the arc of conformity as opposed to away from. It doesn't seem very likely that many new bands, even if they are quite successful, are going to be allowed to stretch their legs the way these guys did on those uh, many outlier albums from the sounds of it. You know, they, 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 they're they sort of like a, one of those kind of median graphs where it's like all the crosses are quite disparate and you draw the median line and the median line is sort of, you know, this is what we think of Depeche Mode. But when you actually look at the points, some of their points are pretty far off that line. You know, you're like... Yeah. like and it's it's interesting that they went in so many directions you know I, I respect that at least uh, even if I don't this the album doesn't blow my mind so the panel decides then should it go in or not 
I'm I'm on the fence. I don't fall out with it. So I, my only concern is that I feel there may be a stronger depression with that. Maybe more it. there. But that is not shooting it down, and I'm reasonably comfortable with that going to the 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 you know the form of public opinion. Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, I really I really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. Um, and I can see how influential it was. Um, I can't say if it's the defining Depeche Mode album, but you know, yeah. I think this great. is the only one you need to be honest, personally. Hey, man, it's, uh, it's your it's my call. Opinion. Uh, well, we leave it to the public to decide, as they will. Uh, so please do go and vote. On our next episode, we'll be listening to DJ Shadow introducing. Okay, go. Cool. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking yes. <laughs> yeah, well, we owe you one, man. So that's uh, that's fine. I'll take that on the chin. Mm-hmm.